Welcome back to Vantage Point, where the vantage is the point. I'm Joy Jennings, an actor, teacher, and content creator. And I'm Aaron Pope, a connector, cultural specialist, and Bible enthusiast. Welcome to episode 12 of season one. On this podcast, we share our views on topics related to arts, culture, race, society, and mental wellness. Today, we'll be talking about memory, what it is, how it defines us, and the challenges surrounding memory loss. Then we'll discuss the film entitled The Father, which chronicles a man coping with the challenges of memory loss. So this was not planned per se. Uh, The last two weeks, of course, as you know, Aaron, we talked about uh, nothing like my father, and we were talking about relationships between fathers and sons. Uh, This movie, of course, also involves a father. But uh, it was not necessarily planned to do it in that kind of sequence. But I really wanted to to see this film for quite some time. The trailer really drew me in. One, Sir Anthony Hopkins, one of my favorite actors of all time. I think he's phenomenal. And two, the movie, the trailer really intrigued me because I didn't know where it was going. How was the trailer for you when you first saw it? I was trying to figure out if he was crazy or were they crazy. And I, I liked that. I had no idea that the concept would be about memory loss. Yeah, because it's like, are they trying to sabotage him? Is something going on? Are they trying to do something and try to take advantage of, you know, his old age? I I didn't really know. And to me, those are some of the best movies out there where it really keeps you guessing. So I really look forward to talking about that movie as we go later on in the show. But one of the things the movie deals with is memory loss and challenges surrounding things such as dementia. But before we get into the movie... You know, the mind is so interesting to me. It's such a powerful thing that resides inside of us as human beings. We haven't even tapped into the full capacity of what the mind can do. And the power of a memory, not just to store it, but to recall a memory and how in us recalling it, it can put us right back in that time and in that place in uh, in time in our lives. And uh, when we talk about memory... Merriam-Webster's dictionary defines memory as the power or process of reproducing or recalling what has been learned through associative mechanisms. And memory really for me is a part of our identity. Like what, who would we be without memories? You know, uh, that is uh, such a part of, of who we are as we grow up and as we go throughout life and have experiences and relationship and jobs and just, and just life who would we be without our memories? They really define us. Wouldn't you say so? I agree. They hold a a lasting impression. Memories engage all the senses. Yeah, they really do. I think for me, it's so interesting when we talk about things such as visualizations, you know, how powerful a visualization can be. Like, let's say, for instance, you're going on a job interview and they'll say, visualize how you want it to go. You know, and in doing so, it can almost prep your mind and your body to have a certain kind of confidence because you visualized it beforehand. You know, if you can think it, then it can manifest. And I think that's really that's really powerful as an actor. Part of my acting training and most acting training will involve a type of sense memory. So sense memory, meaning I can recall a certain memory, emotional memory in my life, and then I can use it as an actor. So one instance could be if I'm in a scene and I am uh, just coming out of the shower, you know, and I'm in the theater and I just came backstage, you know, I wasn't really in the shower, but I can recall in my life, what does it mean to just come out of a shower? How would I behave? How would my, my, uh, my body behave? Or let's say, I'm in a play and it's in Alaska, you know, and it's taking place. The actual play is in uh, the heat of the summer in July. But I can recall a time in my life when I was cold. And how can I then bring that to the performance? Or also what we'll oftentimes see with some actors is something called substitution. So, you know, let's say I'm in a scene and I've lost a loved one. So if I want to bring authenticity to that moment, I may recall a time in my life where I've lost someone who I love and recall that emotion and then bring it to the scene. But that recall memory is so powerful. And one of the things I watched was this documentary called Memory Hackers. 
And this documentary was really fascinating to me. The mind is so mysterious that so many scientists don't even know everything about the mind and about memory. That was one of the points in the documentary that we don't fully understand memory. They also talked about something called highly superior autobiographical memory, uh, abbreviated as HSAM. And the National Library of Medicine, National Institutes of Health, defines that as it's characterized as the ability to accurately recall an exceptional number of experiences and their associated dates from events occurring throughout much of one's lifetime. And this was really cool because in the um, in the documentary, there were several people who could literally recall, let's say, last year on this day where they were exactly. So last year on this day, I was at this restaurant having dinner. Last year on this day, this film came out. It's such, to some people, obscure information, but they, they can literally recall where they were on that particular date and time. And another thing that's um, interesting, there was a quote in the documentary that said, memory comes alive when we recall it. That the power of the memory is not just that it's there, but it comes to comes forth when we recall the memory. Researchers pretty much felt like memory was memory consolidation. And they define that as memory is something, let's say like a library, where there's a book in the library. The memory is the book. Over time, if it's there for decades, let's say, the pages may start to fade, but the memory, the book will always be in the library. And sometimes it may fade or it could get lost in the stack of books, but it will always be there. That's what they thought it was, but they try to kind of change the narrative of that. Uh, there's a professor slash researcher called Kareem Natar, and he wanted to kind of see, can the act of recalling a memory rewrite the story or rewrite the memory. So if I recall the memory, is it possible that we can change the memory in some way, shape or form or alter the memory in some way, shape or form? And I thought this was fascinating. And there was actually a, an experiment many years ago that was done uh, with rats. And in the experiment, they wanted to induce fear in the rats by shocking them and associating that with the tone. So they would play a tone and every time this tone played, they shocked the rats with the expectation that it would instill fear in the rats when the tone was taken or when the, um, the shock was taken away, when they hear the tone, their body would still have fear and uh, reproduce the shock that they had. And so that was actually successful. That took place. And so Kareem Natar wanted to see could he alter that by introducing a, a type of uh, drug into the rats? So when they did that, they found that by inducing the drug, the rats no longer had the, the fear that somehow the drug, it uh, took away the capacity to form new memory and the rats no longer had the fear when the drug was introduced. Um, and that was interesting and also as a type of therapy called reconsolidation of memory, where let's say we have a fear of something. In the documentary, uh, they had a fear of um, tarantulas. And so the client would come in, the therapist would introduce them to the tarantula and have the fear be heightened. And then shortly after introduce the drug to the client, and then they come back and they no longer have a fear of the tarantula. And I thought that was fascinating about the ability to alter memory. Do you think that's something that you would even consider like being able to alter a memory? Is there value in altering memories? I can see that if it's connected to a trauma or a bad memory, but I would want to keep the fullness of the thought. I don't know if I would want to alter the outcome of how my mind would process a thing. Yeah, I think it's um, in theory, it could be good, especially for people who have experienced really devastating trauma like what if you could alter it so that it's no longer there and it's no longer impacting you but at the same time sometimes trauma can produce a lesson there's a lesson through pain so would that be lost if we just alter the memory and get rid of it altogether like was there some benefit from the trauma that would be lost or would we no longer be able to identify with uh, a version of ourselves if we didn't have the trauma um, so I think it's really 
It's really interesting. And I know in your research, you kind of explored fear of memory loss. Can you talk a little bit about that? Um, I personally always want to remember. Um, that is a personal thing to me. Um, I compartmentalize a lot in my mind, but I always want to remember. And I know how to even function, engage just in my own thinking, things I need to write down so I don't forget because I, it's so small that I will. Um, but in just doing research about that, I came across a phobia uh, that basically is the fear of losing your memory or forgetting somebody or um, the fear of forgetting where you are, just a fear of memory loss. Um, it's called adhesagraphoria. Hopefully I said that right. <laughs> try, try saying that five times fast. Won't do it. You get it once. <laughs> um what I find interesting about phobias are phobias are long-term anxiety disorders that can disrupt your daily life. So it's not that you are have a fear of forgetting. It's that every day you function out of that fear and it interrupts your living, your life. Um, and I just thought that was interesting uh, to even look up and research and, and even see. Um, and with that, of course, came, you know, on the back end of the article, just ways to keep your thoughts and keep your memory and um, some I actually do and didn't even know that I un was actually doing it. Um, I do play this game um, on a daily basis uh, for memory. I didn't know it was kind of a memory game, but apparently it is. Uh, and I play it on a daily basis just to keep my mind fresh and my mind kind of going. Um, that's something you can do. Um, of course, rest is always a good thing to maintain memories, to pause the brain, to give it a second to, um, compute, um, which I thought was interesting. And the last thing was, um, of course, uh, exercise, which I thought was interesting. Um, there is something connected to memory and motion in the body that will help keep a memory if there's emotion attached to it. And I thought that was interesting. Uh, lastly, um, one of my favorite movies uh, is before we talk about the father is a film with Robin Williams. It's called the final cut. And in that movie, you basically get a chip in your brain when you're born and it records every experience that you have. So at your eulogy, when you die, they play this and they cut and chop your memories, the best ones for your eulogy. Um, so you almost get to do your own eulogy with the memories that you have. I thought that movie was very, very interesting. One, not interested in the chip, would you consider? What would the intention of it be? What would be the purpose of having it? So that you can have your memories or somebody could have your memories. So, uh, because there was also an episode of Black Mirror, the, uh, the show on Netflix, where one of the episodes was, I imagine we're somewhere in the future and now there's this technology where they're able to implant a chip inside of your brain and the chip allows the individual at any point to be able to recall a certain memory. So you can literally, like a computer, take the file out, pull it up and look at the scene uh, of the memory frame by frame, beginning to end. So I, I don't think I've seen the final cut, but is that how that works? Or it's just like when you pass away, you can give it to someone else or you can have it played at the uh, the funeral. It's similar. Just the basis of the final cut is more so eulogy centered um, and maintaining memories and keeping memories to where as the Black Mirror episode is um, recalling and rewatching your own mirror uh, memories outside of your head. I don't know. I'm kind of on the fence. I, I would probably lean more towards the one in Black Mirror, but I... I'm the kind of person I don't know if I could find value in it because I think it can also be traumatizing. We're playing certain memories over and over and over again. <laughs> and, uh, you know, because even in the episode, you saw certain scenes where, let's say, there was a discussion that happened at work about a promotion and you're not sure if you got it or not. And so now you go back and you you literally replay the memory. You look at the person's face, their eyes. What did that mean? What did that eye twitch mean? What did that uh, nod of the head mean? And because I'm so analytical, I, I don't know if I could find value in it. I think I would end up traumatizing myself if I had something like that. Uh, and I don't know what the, what really the intention would would be to be able to pull it back 
back up there. I mean, maybe there could be some value in handing it off to a family member, like if they're, they want to see the memories or, or hold on to them. But even that, sometimes that leads to, um, I mean, I think there's value in it, but it could also perpetuate not being able to let someone go, perhaps, if you always can bring up the uh, the memory. But I don't know. I mean, people sometimes, you know, have old home movies and things like that, and it just gives them some kind of peace or, you know, some kind of sentimental value to be able to um, look at a loved one. Uh, sometimes I've wished I've had more more pictures or more videos of people who have passed away. Um, but I could see it going both ways. I could see how it could be kind of overdone uh, if it was that much access to the uh, to the memory. Do you think it's something that you would want? Never. I don't want <laughs> no chip, nothing, no chip, anything. <laughs> no, thank you. Um, but I am, I guess, a, a old school keepsake kind of guy. I do have a lot of um, keepsakes and things that I go back and look over just to remember and recall um, good things or good thoughts. Um, I will share uh, as a preacher, every, you know, moment isn't always good. Um, and one of the things I do when I get to those low moments as a preacher is I read some of the cards and things that were given to me over the years to say, hey, stick in it. So. Yeah, I can see in that kind of instance where it would be, you know, kind of encouraging to look back. Like I, I keep things from like plays I've been in just to go back sometimes and remember where I was on that date or the memory attached to it. And I, memory is just so fascinating to be able to recall because like I could pick up a um, a program from a play I was in 15 years ago and be able to open it up and put my mind and my body right back into that moment and how I felt in that moment. Memory is so powerful which is why I think it's interesting to experience a loss of memory because that, that is so much of what defines us. Who would we be without um, our memory? And that kind of leads us into The Father. Uh, this is a, a great film. Ever since I saw a preview to this, I said, I have to see this film. Um, it's an independent film. It is playing in limited release, I believe, in some theaters. I was able to to rent it off of Amazon. Um, I, I really do recommend it. It's a very challenging film to watch uh, in more ways than one. <laughs> uh, but I like that. Um, so it's starring Anthony Hopkins as the lead character, who's also named Anthony. <laughs> um, also, Olivia Coleman. She plays his daughter, Anne. And in the um, the movie, it was based on a play that came out in 2012. The uh, director, Florian Zeller, he also wrote the play, decided to adapt it into a movie. And he said he wanted no one else but Anthony Hopkins to play the lead character. And uh, this film is so good. What are some things you really that you liked about it? I love um, the intensity of the music. Every time there is a moment where he is experiencing a moment without giving it all away um there is it is accompanied by this great operatic sound uh that i enjoy because it for me adds to the memory of the moment uh and i enjoyed that little kind of play on it and i just enjoyed the all-around intensity of it the notion of did he forget <laughs> mm -hmm. or did somebody else forget and just kind of seeing how he was responding to those moments, particularly when he was sure. Yeah. You know, it's one of those films you definitely have to watch more than once. I saw it twice. I mean, I really should see it a third time, but at the end, I really saw that it's taking place from Anthony's eyes mm -hmm. uh, at the beginning because it's taking place through his eyes. I think we are, given or we're put in a position where we trust him. So because we trust him, we are him. We're watching the movie through his eyes. So one of the questions the movie asks us is what is real and what is not real? Because it really places you inside of the mind of Anthony. We don't know. Does he really have dementia or is something going on where maybe his daughter and maybe her husband or maybe people in his life are trying to take his money or trying to um, somehow, somehow get over on him? We really don't know. And I, I really, I really like that. And I found myself being frustrated at parts because I was like, wait, what? What happened? I thought that 
that was his daughter. Is that his daughter? Was his daughter really there? And it was so brilliant because it places you inside of the mind of someone who is literally losing their memory and how challenging and frustrating that can be. I think Anthony Hopkins, this is one of the best performances I've seen uh, in, in quite some time. And, and watching one of the, the interviews with him, he said this was very close to him. One, because he, I believe, is about 82, about the same age of the character. And he, he said something so interesting that he's of the age where he can understand the melancholy that comes along with being in that kind of uh, age bracket, which was very interesting because there is a sadness that the character has. There's some moments where he's there. There's some moments where it seems like, okay, maybe he's not there. I w and I love the how the movie takes us on a journey where at first maybe he has more strength and he has more conviction, but as it goes on, he's starting to really doubt and doubt his reality and we're not sure what's really happening, but he does a great job of showing us that transformation. What do you think about that? He does a great job. And um, to be 106, I think he's still got it. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. No, um, but exceptional. He does. He still has it. He is still um, doing exceptional work. And it is interesting to watch. Um, one of the things I thought was exciting was not that I just believed him, but I was curious to know if that was something he was um, afraid of or how he was processing it, even as a character. I know you take on things as a character and you try to um, uh, speak the truth to the character, but I wonder how much of that was him and how much was his character and just the mesh between the two. That's a good question. And, you know, I've seen a lot of interviews with him over the years, and it's so interesting watching him being asked by people because people will be like, oh, my God, how did you do that character? Like, I remember in uh, The Silence of the Lambs, probably one of his most notable movies, like, how did you do that? He had such great chemistry with Jodie Foster, and how did you do that character? And he's basically like, I showed up on time, I learned my lines, and I got on with it. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, part of that is true. But, you know, I, I know there's a little bit more involved in that. But as he's gotten older, you know, for um, the father, he was talking about one, the age. So as he's gotten older and he's done acting for so many decades, he realizes that he has to do less and less in order to get into the character. And one of the things um, he says, and, you know, as a, as a preacher, you know, I think you can also find value in this is that he trusts the text that everything he needs is in the in the text. Like when he was younger, he may have thought, okay, I had to study people who had dementia or memory loss. And he said, no, I didn't really study anyone. I trusted the text. Everything I needed was there. And the, the given circumstances inside of the story is what I used to get to a particular place. Now he said, I understood it more and it was more palpable for me because I'm of that age where I could develop something related to Alzheimer's or memory loss, you know? But uh, he trusted the text. And, you know, that's definitely something I'm sure you, you can relate to as well, right? I hear you. I'm not going to touch it because it might make me run. <laughs> I don't know. We have space here. No, that is good. Trust in the text. That's really good. Yeah. And I... Um, I tend to go along that route with him as an as an actor. You know, I, I mentioned sense memory in the beginning and that whole thing about substitution. So, you know, if I if someone experiences a loss in their life and the character does bring that to the character, I think that can be challenging, you know, because it can take you to a dark place. And I think it's important to be able to detach from the work. We've seen instances of actors who maybe had some challenges disassociating themselves from the character. Think of, uh, you know, Heath Ledger and the Joker that uh, I'm sure he may have had some experiences in his actual life, but maybe the role helped to, to trigger some of those things up. But, um, you know, one of the questions that was asked of Anthony Hopkins and Olivia Coleman, they were like, you know, this stuff is heavy. I'm sure it really kind of stayed with you all. And they said, no, you know, one thing I value about this is that I can do my job and then we go home. I don't take it with me. I leave it there on the on the set. And that's kind of the way I like to to work, because uh, the other way to me, sometimes it can be valuable depending on the project. But I think it can really also lead to some trauma or it could be hard to leave it there. Hmm. It may be more likely to take it with you uh, and trigger up some things that you know may require a while to kind of uh, unpack. 
But um, yeah, his performance is so great. It's so detailed. And, you know, I, I have ex- I've not personally experienced in my immediate family anyone who had memory loss per se. But in my extended family, I do know of someone who had um, Alzheimer's. And it was very difficult to kind of uh, to see that kind of thing as they change, as they decline, you know, instances of waking up, not knowing where they are or leaving the house and, you know, not knowing their location. And uh, one of the hardest parts I can only imagine is, let's say, a a son to a father or, you know, um, a daughter to a father or mother. The parent doesn't recognize their own child. I couldn't imagine that or spouse, you know, they don't even recognize their own their own spouse and how that can change day to day. I think one of the things the uh, the movie does highlight is how many times he's probably had certain kinds of conversations, you know, because there's a the movie is purposely repetitive. So it'll show a scene and then you have another scene and then you kind of see that scene was related to either the prior scene or the mm-hmm. scene prior to that. It's just a different perspective of the scene. And then as the movie go- goes on, we say, okay, maybe it is memory loss. Maybe he is being challenged. And, you know, he just, um, Anthony Hopkins character, it just goes through so many different moments, which I think speaks to the uh, excellence of the performance. One moment is charming. The next moment it's it's angry. The next moment is humorous. The next moment is confused and there's some fear. And sometimes this happens in the middle of like five minutes or so. And it's really just brilliant how those transitions happen, you know? He gives several different vantage points. Oh, there we go. But don't chink. Um but I love that he shows up a certain way every single time to the point where what I thought was clever about the movie was his ability to attach a a memory to a memory Hmm. that his memories were layered. What he was experiencing in the movie was a memory attached to an experience he had already had. Um, And I thought that was uh, cleverly done. I also love the window and the watch and just the symbolism of him constantly checking to make sure if he was really where he was or really remembered based on what he saw out the window and or based on having his watch. Yeah. Yeah. And and then of course the watch is symbolic of time and the loss of time. He kept losing the watch. Uh, One of the things that's interesting about uh, people who undergo a form of dementia, though oftentimes it seems feel like people are stealing things from them. I think that whole concept is, uh, is fascinating. And in, in an interview, Anthony Hopkins said his, his mother before she passed, it wasn't a, an extreme form of memory loss, but she said that, well, he said that she thought that people were stealing like a uh, personal belongings of hers. And that relates right to this character. I mean, there's several scenes where he thinks that someone is stealing um, his watch. And I thought that was just, um, that's very interesting. And, you know, he, he keeps going back to the room. He keeps going back to the, uh, the room in the uh, apartment that he's in. And one of the things that's making us question is, whose apartment is this? You know, is this his apartment? Is this his daughter's apartment? Because the movie suggests to us that he at one point had lived on his own. But then at some point he moved in with his daughter because he can no longer live on his own. And he's been having issues with um, these different people who have come in to kind of care for him. He was of the um, opinion that so many people do who uh, sometimes are elderly and they get to a place where they may no longer be able to take care of themselves they've grown to be independent. So they may say, Hey, I can take care of myself. What are you talking about? I'm not going to leave my house. I don't need anyone to help me. And, you know, I can't relate to that, but I can certainly relate to being uh, independent and not wanting someone necessarily to take care of me. But what do you do, uh, you know, as a, a, as a son or daughter and your parent can no longer take care of themselves. What is that conversation like? And Olivia Coleman does a great job. You just see, how much, how challenging it is. You just see the hurt on her, her face to have to admit to her father, like, Hey, if this doesn't work out, we may have to, you know, 
that that one scene where she basically says, we may have to put you in a home somewhere. But the brilliance of the script is that she can't even utter the words out of her mouth mm-hmm. <laughs> because it's so hard for her to say that to uh, to her father. And what do you do when you realize there's nothing more I can do? At this point, the best thing I can do is to put you in someone else's care because, you know, she has a job, you know, we can't give 24-hour care. We can't give the care that, that they need. So what do we do? And, you know, one of the themes of the movie uh, is being a caregiver. You know, the daughter is a type of caregiver. And what are the challenges of being a caregiver to someone? The only time in my life I think I've I've experienced that, my maternal grandmother, when I was younger, she uh, was, uh, was sick. And I remember I really helped to take care of her one particular summer because, you know, my parents and other people were kind of uh, working. And so it was left to me when I was on vacation from school to take care of her. And it was it was a, a difficult situation to be in um, because it, it's just a lot to be able to have to tend to somebody for their breakfast, their lunch and their dinner. And to see someone who may have been able at one point kind of decline to a point where they can't do for themselves, that's hard to see. And then also with my father, when he passed away, he had declined so much that he almost, it was like the the shoes were reversed, where maybe he had taken care of me when I was younger, but now I'm taking care of him. Almost like he is the infant now, like he's the child now, because he couldn't do for himself. And there's a hopelessness sometimes that can creep in when you see someone in a state and you're like, there's nothing more I can do for this person. And having to come to terms and to peace with that can be very challenging. Have you ever experienced a situation like that? Well, I had a sister who passed away from lupus. Um, and we kind of took turns kind of taking care of my sister and doing uh, things for my sister um, to make sure that she was living the best optimum life that she could live. Um, but I do know there are moments where it did take a toll. Um having to make adjustments and having to learn other things or do other things because of um, we were all took turns in being caregivers and it's not an easy thing to do. And it can be taxing at times. And I think that oftentimes people just underestimate how it affects everyone that it doesn't just affect one person um, and just navigating how to do that. It can be um, a major adjustment. Yeah. I like what you said in terms of you took turns, that it was you all were determined. One of the thing about one thing about this movie is that for uh, Anne, his daughter, it seemed, seemed like she was the only one. And he had another daughter named Lucy. Um, and she was not in the in the picture. Clearly something happened to her. Uh, one of the other devastating things is that the father doesn't remember um, what happened to her. So he just thinks that she hasn't come to visit him. He doesn't recall that she's no longer here, basically. But he's very hard on Anne. And one thing I've seen is that sometimes where oftentimes or parents, especially if they're of the age where they need care, they can be very hard on their child especially the child or children who seem to do the most. It's the ones who do the most for them that they are oftentimes the hardest on. And throughout the movie, we just see him constantly saying disparaging remarks to Anne and saying how much he loves Lucy. Like Lucy is the child he loves. He can't wait till she visits. You know, clearly he does know that she hasn't been there in quite some time, but to Anne, you know, it's like she can never do it well enough. There's always some kind of critique about what she can do better, but she's the one who's constantly there. And we see the strain on her and also her relationship. You know, the movie does a good job of saying what relationship is she in <laughs> because she's been married before. And is the uh, the father aware that she's no longer married? Who is he seeing as her her spouse? We don't quite know that, but we do know from what we see at least through his eyes, that there was a moment where there were some challenging things that were said between Anne and her husband at the time. 
And it seemed like her husband basically was saying, I didn't sign up for this. And what happens when you're married or you're in a relationship with someone and that person's parent ends up having something like Alzheimer's? How does that alter the relationship? Because some people could say, uh, you know, I didn't sign up for that because uh, at that point, the father had moved in with her or with them. And it was clear that he had so many episodes that they no longer could provide the care he needed. But how do you say to your father or how do you cash your father off and put him in a a home? Because I I think that she just loved her father so much. She couldn't see him going away uh, to, to a home. And you really saw just the conflict within their relationship. What did you think about that whole um, dynamic between them and that kind of challenge they had? One of the things I liked about, Uh, their interaction is he knew nonverbal ways to say, I know what you're dealing with, with me. There are several scenes that I like that he doesn't speak, but he makes hand gestures. One where he touches her on the shoulder after he overhears an argument where she goes to his defense and say, I got to take care of my father. Um, Another instance where um, he is in the room and he notices that she is exhausted and simply touches her face. Um, And I, I like those moments because you never just like old folks, (laughs) you never hear him. He never really says the words, but he does in small ways and gestures say, you know, thank you. Um, I also think it's interesting that he would say certain things to sabotage intentionally so he could live on his own. Uh, It's funny to watch through the movie, well, I found the sense in the humor in the movie of how he is oftentimes sabotaging every moment that we see so he can say, I live on my own. Mm. <laughs> and he goes out of his way to be mean and nasty and all of that stuff just so he can get what he wants um, and sabotage, you know, real care, which I thought was funny. But one of the key things that I can take away from their relationship that was uh, very moving to me is um, when she says that she is going away and he's going to be here, she's going to visit and how heart wrenching that was for him to hear. And the line that he says in the movie is, so you're leaving me, you're abandoning me. Hmm. What's going to come of me? Hmm. And I thought that was um, another moment where he couldn't simply say, I need you. Mm. He blamed it on her and said, so you're just going to walk out of here on me like that. Now what's going, who's going to deal with me? And it was hard to watch him say those words, but he still couldn't muster up a thank you or I need you here with me or whatever the case he wanted. Yeah. Two things about their relationship that was interesting to me is that I think Anthony's uh, character he oftentimes used tactics, in my opinion, to try to make it seem like she was the crazy one, especially when other people were around or like that one scene where they're in the uh, the doctor's office, basically trying to perpetuate that. Oh, she's the one who forgets. I'm the same one. I'm all here. It's nothing wrong with me. It's something wrong with her. Or when the help try to comes, basically, he tries to belittle her like there's something wrong with her or she just can't get it right. Um, and then, two, you know, one thing that sometimes parents may use, I feel like, especially of that age, is guilt. Mm. I'm trying to guilt you into something because even his verbiage when he says, you're abandoning me, not you're leaving me, abandoning mm. me, that word, it sparks, it, it elicits an emotional response, I would suggest. And sometimes we know what to say to trigger a response in someone. So what does him saying that to his daughter, his devoted daughter, do to her? It makes her feel guilty. It might make her second guess leaving him or putting him in a home because she'll feel badly and she'll feel like she's abandoned her father and who wants to abandon their father or their mother. And and so in some ways that may be effective and he may have learned that kind of behavior because he thinks that may work and may keep him from uh, leaving the uh, his home, his dwelling, the uh, the apartment flat. The, the flat, as they call it in the UK, <laughs> which I think is a, a cool name to call it, my, my flat. I'm not leaving my flat, he says at one point. <laughs> but uh, yeah, they have a really interesting relationship. Um, what were some other things you saw in the movie that you wanted to uh, discuss? It was great to watch him um, navigate 
um, handling being handled and how he knew he was meeting a nurse in his mind um, and that nurse was going to be there full time. And just he made sure he navigated being handled. He knew he was being handled uh, and he would do certain things uh, without giving away the movie. There's a great exchange between um, somebody who was applying to become his caregiver and how he starts out to be so kind and funny and, and loving and charming. And he turns into almost what I would call a monster just to prove that I have my mind. I have my mind so well that I just took you on this train ride. Now I'm going back to my room. Mm. Yeah, you know, and that's a repeated theme. He keeps going back to the room, which if you all watch it, which I highly recommend, I think that ties into what was happening the whole time. The mm. fact that he keeps going back to the room mm -hmm. because it ties in to what happens at the end of the film. And in that moment that you mentioned, one of the things the uh, the girl says, who is basically trying to apply to be his caregiver, he asks her, what do you do? And she says, I take care of people who need help. Mm. And if we talk about what's, what triggers him to then kind of, belittle her in a sense, I would say is that the fact that I'm taking care of you because you need help and how hard that is to hear from someone who doesn't want help because they want to be independent, how that can make them defensive and shut down. And we see him go from being charming and, and suave and offering her a drink and trying to get her to relax. And so now, okay, I'm going to make you feel like I make and my daughter feel. Uh, and it, it turns just like that. And I think that's uh it's so authentic to uh, behavior that we'll, we'll often see. And just a, a great, a great way to mess around with memories. He is literally functioning based off of what he thinks he remembers and why he has to do it that way. Um, Cause he almost likes her because she reminds him of his daughter. Mm. And then in the same moment, we see him say, but wait a minute, my daughter's not here to take care of me. This is my response to that. Uh, and so it's interesting to see him navigate through a range of emotions. Um, and in one scene when he is dealing with how he's being handled and he knows he's being handled. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things the movie really brings to mind is what I said in the beginning is that a memory doesn't have power really until we recall the memory. And, and that's what he's he's doing. You know, he's he's recalling these memories, but then we're also experiencing something I mentioned where they're being altered because, uh, you know, when you look at the movie, people are not who they appear to be. Like there's one scene he sees his daughter, another scene he sees someone else who he thinks is his daughter. Uh, his daughter uh, had a husband. She's no longer with him, but he's seeing different. He's identif identifying people incorrectly. Uh, he's associating them with, with someone else. And it's like, you're recalling the memory, but it's not quite what it used to be. And, you know, again, that, that frustration for the viewer, we really see that because we go right along with them and we're like, wait a second, that's not your daughter. Oh, wait, it is your daughter. Oh, wait, is that really your apartment? Is that your daughter's apartment? Uh, I think the director was, um, made a brilliant choice to kind of make it challenging for us because it puts us in his mind and I thought it was just really great. Um, was there anything else that you, you saw in the movie that you wanted to discuss? Yes, but I want to discuss it briefly because I don't want to give away the ending or say anything about the ending. But there is something interesting um, that I caught, and that is his request for his mother. Uh, as he gets to a certain place and age and stage, he makes a request for his mother. And just in the time and the climate that we're living in, having readily experienced that with national news and just the correlation of men who request or make a request for their mothers as they get older. And just lastly, the um, strength of the window, uh, particularly at the end <laughs> without saying much, I said all of that to say nothing, but the strength of the window is, I thought, r remarkable because we get stuck in windows and just perceiving them and get stuck in those moments. And life is passing by. And just the strength of the window, I thought, was amazing. Why, why do you think he kept going to the window? Because that's something that was that's marked in the film, that he kept going back to the window to peer out of it. 
I think it was in the hopes that it would recall a memory, but also in the hopes to say, you know, I can't be as crazy as I think I am. I think it was soothing. Mm, yeah, because there's one moment he's looking out the window and you see him smile. It's like he's recalling a memory, maybe from, even from childhood, um, which I think is I think is interesting. And yeah, the whole thing about you know asking for his mother, you know that that is so that's so interesting. Yeah, that oftentimes we will go back to that place when we feel we're close to the end. So. I mean, this really is a, it's a great movie. I can definitely see how it was a play. One, because it takes place in the same location. <laughs> but I think that they did a good job of translating it from a play to a movie. It was very cinematic. And one of the responses I heard from someone who was um, interviewing Anthony Hopkins and Olivia Coleman is that they had seen the play, but they thought the movie was so much more intimate. Uh, one reason, of course, we get to see the, the eyes uh, the, the reactions close up and we really get to be in the mind of uh, of the characters in a way the play may be a bit more removed because we're, we're sitting further back. But every every movement is so intentional. It's so well done. And um, I love the movie because it's well crafted. It's complex. It's a rich story. And it is so relevant to what's happening in life. I mean, a lot of us have experience being a caregiver to someone. What are the challenges of being a caregiver to especially a parent? And what challenges does that bring on you, your family, your relationship? And also people who are experiencing memory loss. I mean, that who would we be without our memory? It is a part of our identity. So I do think the film does a great job of depicting what that must be like to experience memory loss, and then also the people surrounding them, what challenges that brings upon upon them. I think it definitely gives awareness. Uh, people who have experienced it, I think you'll definitely probably see some authenticity there. Um, and it's just, it does a great job of doing that. Um, so for you, what are some takeaways from the movie? Um, being solid and knowing that you've done the best that you can for um, people you give care for, and knowing when um, you've reached a max um, knowing to take a break. Um, one of the things I like about one of the, um, uh, churches around here is that they offer caregivers some time off, um, to where they fully take care of everything. They fully finance breakfast, lunch, and dinner care, all of that stuff, just so caregivers can get a break. Um, and I think that that's important taking a break, knowing when to take a break. Um, also just the power and the strength of a memory and just knowing how major they really are would be a takeaway for me. Um, every memory isn't always good, but every memory is, you know, there's something to it. The ability to always recall is to me an amazing uh, thing to do. Amazing moment. Uh, lastly, just um, bearing with people who are getting older uh, and just particularly your parents and just dealing with, them as they are getting older because the truth is they won't say it but they do understand they've got more days behind them than they have ahead and in that they will function as such and just being mindful of that when you deal with your parents or the elderly or as a caregiver somebody who's you got to take care of yeah i definitely agree with that you know i think it, it's going to come for all of us at um, a certain point, we will experience that with our parents. I think that definitely requires patience. I mean, I don't know if um, I would have the capacity to be a, a professional caregiver like that. It just, it can be a very challenging thing and it definitely requires patience and grace and not taking things personally because that person can be uh, very abusive sometimes, maybe in their language or very demanding but you really have to come from a higher place to not take it personal and just be willing to be with them and sit with them. Uh, I think that's one of the things that the, uh, the caregiver that he ultimately has in the movie does. She sits with him during his process or his moment. She knows that eventually it will pass, but she has to sit with him in his pain. And that's something that not everyone has the ability to do. It's oftentimes hard for us to sit with someone in their pain because we want to uh, we don't want the discomfort of that or the inconvenience that can come with that, but it's necessary 
I, I would suggest as a caregiver to learn how to sit with someone in their their pain. And that pain could last for a very extended period of time. We can't control the uh, the length of that moment, but I think it's necessary. And, you know, we ourselves will be in that position one day, you know, uh, you know, God willing, we won't experience memory loss, but we could, it's possible. And I'm sure we want that grace and that compassion extended to us. So we should then also extend it to, um, to other people, especially to uh, our loved ones. So friends, I thank you all for listening to our conversation today. And if you get a chance, go ahead and check out The Father. Right now it's available to, uh, to rent on streaming services. I hope you found value in our conversation today. And as a reminder, new episodes air every Tuesday. You can connect with us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Just search for our platform, Our Father's Table. Any questions, comments, or show ideas can be sent to vantagepointpod at gmail.com. And now, friends, it's time for the final segment of our show called Fields of Vision. This is the segment of the show where we highlight a quote or text to help encourage and inspire you. Each day is a gift. As long as my eyes open, I'll focus on the new day and all the happy memories I stored away just for this time in my life. Author Unknown. I encourage you to recall, recall and remember. Remember those good days, remember those good moments, remember those triumphs and victories. Because the truth is, life will not always offer what you recall. But your ability to remember and bring it back to mind can change and shift the very disposition that you have. When you are low, recall the high moments. When you are down, recall being up because it won't always last always because you have a memory. And that does it for us here today at Vantage Point. I'm Troy Jennings. And I'm Aaron Pope. We thank you for joining us again, friends, and we look forward to you joining us next time. Until we meet again, friends, be well.